0: This is Great Day Nation, presented by BetMGM. I'm your host, Morton Anderson. And as always, I'm joined by my jovial co-host, Tommy Freeze-Pops. Tommy, my man, what do we have this week for our great listeners?
1: Morton, thanks as always for having me. Week five of the NFL regular season is upon us. And we have one of the greatest passers in the history of the NFL a man famous for playing quarterback into his 40s with all sorts of passing records across North America. The Hall of Famer Warren Moon joins the show. Then we'll get into Morton's Fast Five, where we'll give our picks for the five biggest matchups of the NFL weekend. And finally, we'll close things out with Morton's game winner. But before we get into all of that, let's go to the opening kick. Morton Anderson kicks off. And it's a beauty through the end zone. And Morton Anderson
0: has been doing that with regularity this season and throughout his illustrious career. Siboy! Brady versus Belichick. The return, the reckoning, revenge. Everyone is on the train. An event that transcends, permeates, and endures through all the choices we have for our attention. What are we missing here? why do we devote that much attention to two individuals in a team game? Enough already, I say. Belichick didn't play it down, but there were 22 guys who did, and one was named Brady. Before I get to the future Hall of Famer and GOAT of the game returning to face his old coach, with whom he won six Super Bowls over 20 years, allow me to mention my personal vendetta story, my reckoning. As you may be aware, I was unceremoniously released from the Saints in 1995 after having spent 13 productive years there. During this time, I made six Pro Bowls and was on several All-Pro teams, including the 80s and 90s All-Decade teams. But I digress. At the time, I was told that I was a declining player who no longer could hit the long ball. Other competition was better than me, and a salary cut of 40% was warranted. Needless to say, I exited and found a new home immediately in Atlanta. My first game back to New Orleans to face my old team, and it went well. I kicked four field goals, one in overtime to win it. Great snaps, great holes, solid protection. Team game, remember? A few months later in the return game in Atlanta, we put up 350 plus burgers on the Saints, an NFL record that still stands today. The Falcons were 10-0 versus the Saints the next five years, and many games were decided by three points. Hey, enough said. You get the point. Mistakes were made, miscalculation enforced, and consequences suffered. Back to Brady versus Belichick. I mean, the the Bucs versus the Pats. They both wanted to win, and it was close. In the end, Brady and the Bucs persevered. We learned that Brady is really good and we confirmed that Belichick knows him well and made it difficult for him this Sunday night in New England, but there's more. We also learned that running the ball and solid line play was paramount to success in rainy conditions. This evening was also the coming out party of a rookie quarterback that no one talked about. His name, Michael McCorkle Mac Jones, remember his name. He went toe-to-toe with the GOAT and established himself as the legitimate heir to the throne vacated by Brady. Hey, listen, let's celebrate these great moments in sports as they are certainly worthy of our attention. However, don't forget the hidden gems waiting in the wings, ready to pounce to make their own statement, to blaze their own trail and start their own legacies. The NFL is full of these stories. I say continue to give me Brady in the box, but let's enjoy and celebrate Mac Jones and his journey in New England as well. I know that both men understand that the quality of their success journey is directly related to like-minded men whose worth and
1: importance should not and never be ignored amen to all of that uh i love mac jones after that game i thought he looked awesome i thought belichick put together a great game plan as a kicker morton i wanted to ask you this nick fulk ended the game 56 yards that condition on the field with the bad plant leg did belichick make the right call there or should they have gone for it on fourth and three
0: Made the right call, plenty of distance. The plan lick gave out a little bit, collapsed, and it caused the ball to move left a little bit. Folk is capable of making that kick. He was on a roll. He had a ton of kicks in a row. I do not even know how many it was.
1: It was like 35 or something crazy.
0: Yeah, so you're playing the odds in your favor, and you say, listen, what's my success rate, this play versus that play? That has to happen really fast. I think he had total, total faith in Folk. And uh, listen, it hit the upright. It doinked, uh, you know, it could have doinked in, it doinked out. So there's no shame in in folks' game. Listen, that was a big kick. That was a long kick in really bad conditions. And like you said, with a compromised plant leg. So if I had to make that decision again, I'm,
1: I'm making the same decision. All right. Before we get to your conversation with Warren Moon, another quarterback that played into his 40s there. I wanted to tell you about our friends at BetMGM, a really cool promotion going on right now for new players. Bet $10 to win $200 if your team scores a touchdown. Bet on any team's money line, and if your team scores a touchdown, you'll receive an additional $200 in free bets. Must be 21 or older to play, legal in Arizona, New Jersey, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. Full terms and conditions apply. Bet MGM is the official sports book of Great Dane Nation. All right, let's get to that conversation with Warren Moon. All right, Freeze Pops, let's kick it.
0: If you combine Warren Moon's numbers from the Canadian Football League and the NFL, you end up with an insane number, over 70,000 yards. I'm trying to wrap my head around this one because that is a lot of passing yards, uh, Warren, that you amassed. You are in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, and you were the first from the CFL to get into the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the first African-American quarterback. And it just goes on and on, bro. It's been an amazing career. You played, you and I played into our 40s. I stopped at 47. You stopped at 44, but you played a real position, let's face it. And for a boy who, you know... Grew up with six sisters uh, in a not-so-nice neighborhood, probably, I would say, in California. Are you pinching yourself sometimes going, this has been a hell of a journey here?
2: You know, I really do sometimes, Morton, when I when I look at back at where I came from and, you know, the environment I came out of. Uh, you know, I lost my dad when I was seven years old. I had six sisters and just my mom, so I was the only boy in the house. and I had to take on a, a more... Uh, fatherly type role at a very, very young age. So it forced me to grow up a lot faster be a lot more mature. And then I had to have my um, my goals ready for life a little bit earlier than most, because I felt like if I was going to help my mom and help my sisters, I had to I had to be successful. And what was going to be the best way for me to be successful? And I felt like sports was my way to do it. So my mother got me involved in sports at a very, very young age to, to kind of just get me around more boys because I had all these females in the house and also to get me around coaches and people that were like mentors to me. And a lot of my coaches became those mentors throughout my life. And still to this day, I have relationships with a lot of my Pop Warner and, and high school coaches. But uh, I fell in love with, with sports once she got me involved and uh, they just kind of took off. You know, basketball was my favorite sport, but I didn't think I was going to be tall enough. You know, I thought I'd need to be around six foot five or whatever to, to be a really good basketball player. So I played all those sports growing up, but the one I gravitated to most was football and definitely playing quarterback. I started playing quarterback at 11 years old.
0: So growing up with the girls, take me through that a little bit. Uh, You mentioned sacrifices, and I read that you basically had to – you had to focus on one sport so you didn't spread yourself too thin because you had to kind of be man of the house and do a lot of things, a lot of chores and a lot of things to help your mom out. Sewing and knitting, well, sewing was one of the things you did too. I I took – Listen, I you can say that's well, that's wow, that's for a girl. But really, that was ne- necessitated by the fact that hey, your clothing need need to get fixed once in a while. So just being around the girls and what did that teach you? You know, because let's face it, I've been married almost twenty five years, Warren. All right, and, and I've been you know around my wife, and she's quite honestly more disciplined and, and stronger than me in, in many ways. So I think we we learn a lot from women, right? We learn a lot about they're just more in touch with the emotional side than maybe you and I are willing to admit. What did you learn from your sisters, and are you still close with them?
2: Yeah, I am. And, um, you know, I learned patience. You know, I think women, women want to be heard. They want to be listened to. Men want to solve problems. You know, if we yeah. find there's a problem. We want to try and figure out what's the answer to, to get it solved. Women, on the other hand, they have a problem. They just want to talk about it. They want you to listen to what their problems are.
0: Oh, man, yeah.
2: I necessarily have an answer for you because they don't want to hear your advice on it. They just wanna, want to you to listen. So I learned that a lot from being around women a lot. With my mom, she was a perfectionist at everything she did. And that's kind of the, the way we were able to survive. You know, we had a very small house with all these kids in it. Yeah. every Every place had a place for it, you know? So she was very immaculate with the way she kept things. Every place had a place for where it was supposed to be. And if it was out of place, uh, she would piss her fit. She wasn't a, a she wasn't a very mean lady at all, but when it came to, to things being unorganized and out of out of uh out of place, that's one thing that just pushed her her buttons the wrong way. And I became that way growing up because of being around her. So I'm that same way. I'm that O C D type guy that everything has to have a place for it and and I'm always picking up behind people uh, because they don't practice the same way I do when, when they're out. Uh, and they're socializing or whatever. I'm picking up glasses and throwing away papers and making sure everything's always neat because of my mom. You so know, but
0: it, she probably, this was out it was, this was out of necessity, but imagine seven kids yeah. and and the anarchy that would ensue if you guys were just allowed to run wild.
2: Yeah, in a two-bedroom house, you know, when we first started, then we eventually moved to a three-bedroom, but still you got seven, seven kids in a three-bedroom house. That's still a lot, so... I really, I really learned a lot from that about organization and things like that. And uh, I didn't stay home a lot though, because there was so many women there all the time. Once I got into sports, I was either at the park, you know, practicing on a team, or I was out in the street, uh, you know, playing street ball with my friends, playing football or whatever it might be, or just out there actually just throwing the football, just trying to get better as a quarterback. So my mother had to yell and scream to get me to come in the house most times at night, because I would stay out there. She she let me all night long.
0: You decided to go to a high school in a little better neighborhood, really give yourself a better chance academically. And that was really, uh, you know, the starting point, if you will, a proactive decision on your part. Who helped you with that? Or was that,
2: did that come from you? A lot of it came from me, believe it or not. I, you know, I look at the streets and the environment that I was involved in. And there was a lot of gangs during the time that I was coming up uh, in high school. And you had the Crips and you had the Bloods, and all those gangs were right around the neighborhoods where I was. It wasn't right in my neighborhood, but very close, especially in the two high schools that I was supposed to go to: mm-hmm. to High School and also at Los Angeles High School. So I decided if I'm gonna if I'm gonna survive, because I had had some run-ins with some of these guys in different places, I said if I'm gonna survive, I need to go to a high school where I can get a better better education as a better athletic program. Yeah. Give me a better opportunity to be uh, to be seen and, and maybe heard by different colleges if I ever get to that point. So I had a friend of mine that was born to Hamilton High School that lived down the street. And he told me a lot about it, and I decided that's where I wanted to go just to get out of the environment that I was living in. Not so much that I wasn't going to live there anymore, but I, I was going to be going to school in a different area, have you know, access to different types of friends and different types of nationalities and things like that. So it, it was a really good move.
0: Yeah, and you end up going to West Los Angeles College before then transferring to the University of Washington where you win the Rose Bowl. And this had to be in 1977 there as a kid that grew up in L.A. I have to imagine that that must have been a dream for you or it was on on the radar screen for you growing up in that area and then being able to win the Rose Bowl.
2: You know, it really was, I was a, as a kid. I grew up watching the Rose Bowl every year on um, on New Year's Day. And I actually went to the Rose Bowl parade a couple of different times. You know, I had some cousins that lived out in Pasadena. So we'd go out there and then we'd go find a place on the street and sit, sit out in the middle of the night before the parade started like early in the morning. Uh, hmm. we, never, we never could afford to go to the game. So I always watched it on TV and it was usually always UCLA or USC and maybe Stanford a couple of different times that they represented the Pack, uh, the Pack 8 at that time. Mm-hmm. So, so it was a goal of mine when I left to go to the University of Washington. I said, i want to be able to come back and bring a team from Washington to play in the Rose Bowl, something that hadn't happened in Washington I think in over uh, 20 years. And uh, that was one of my goals when I went up there was to be able to play in that game, a game that I always dreamed of maybe having a chance to play in one day watching it all the time. And uh, it actually came true in my senior year at the University of Washington. We played University of Michigan. We were 17-point underdogs, and we ended up upsetting them that day, and uh, yeah. that kind of put our program on the map because Don James, the head coach at that time, that was his first. We were, I was part of his first class, and uh, by that third year, we were in the Rose Bowl and didn't won it. And uh, he took off from there. He became one of the great college coaches of all time um, because of uh, the class that we had that came in when he first got there.
0: What is your favorite memory besides the Rose Bowl from college? Because for me, I went to Michigan State, spent four years there. They, they were formative years for me. You know, they were probably the most important years I would say in my life because, you know, you're young, you're right in that age, 19 to 22, 18 to 21, 22, and everything's available to you, if you will, all the choices and decisions. And I made some bad ones, but I would say I might made mostly good ones because of sport because of football and because of the structure of football when you look back at washington and your 3 years there and the experience you had and how did that mold you for your next level when you went to the CFL and later to the NFL was that to you like the three most important years or was it an, did that come earlier for you or maybe later
2: it was probably the most important 3 years one because I was away from home for the first time in my life mm-hmm on my own, living in a dorm room, then I got a chance to move outside the dorm and live, live in an apartment. So right. all that training that my mom had gave me early in those years as far as being able to cook, being able to clean, being able to sew, being OCD and keeping everything neat really came into into play uh, when mm-hmm. I got to, uh, to college. You know how small those dorm rooms are, you got to have oh. a place for everything for everything.
0: <laughs> Did and you ever loft?
2: Possibly- in the loft. Yeah, unfortunately my roommate was the same way. So we, we fit in perfect together because we had, yeah. we had the most tidy room that, that you could find in the dorm and I was always cooking food. I had a, a hot plate in there, I had a refrigerator and <laughs> I bet it smelled good in there, buddy. <laughs> Everybody was coming to my room. If the dorm the dorms had closed from my, from the dining hall, they wanted to come to my room to see what Warren was cooking. So I love um, it. That part of it was good. I had some very lean years in my first couple of years in, in, University of Washington, We weren't winning a lot, you were trying to build a program. So uh, I had to deal with a lot of that as an 18, 19-year-old, trying to deal with you know, people booing you and calling you names and, and all that different stuff. So I grew up a lot as a man, found a lot about me as a person, found a lot of inner strength, because I, I compartmentalized a lot of the stuff that I had to deal with. I didn't want to share it with anybody, I didn't want anybody to think anything was bothering me, even though I'm sure they knew that it was. So all those things, yeah, played a, played a part in those first three years me going out on my own and trying to be a man and, and then I, w- I would work during the uh during the summers i've worked during the spring break to, you know try and make as much money as i possibly could to stash away for school so i'd have to bother my mother with wanting money and stuff like that so all of that and then i met a, a very very um close family that i'm still really close to today that became like my family away from home up here yeah that's interesting because i had named, the same thing yeah named the pains and uh, that was pains. The, that i could go it was like a Refuge where I could go to their house on the weekend. Yep. They yep. Cook, they cooked me and my roommate dinner. Yep. Uh, they had two, three kids of their own, two boys and a, and a, and a daughter, so I could interact and, and kind of feel like I was part of a family, even though yep. I wasn't at home with my own family. So that was a great refuge for me to get away from some of the pressures uh, at the university and on campus.
0: So indulge me for a second. You mentioned uh, the three years, very formative at the University of Washington. I want to talk a little bit about, because when I think of you, Warren, you know, I think of your leadership skill. I I think you exude confidence, you know, and we haven't been around each other a ton, but I've been around you enough to see how you carry yourself. I mean, I had had the honor of sitting next to you on stage at the hall a, a month ago and really enjoyed that time, that fellowship we had up there. Yeah, we had a good uh, time
2: up there,
0: didn't we? <laughs> just taking bets on who would cry first. and <laughs> <laughs> You know, but no, but just really just watching you and watch how you interact with people. And so I want to get your take on your, and I know without being narcissistic about it, you know, just your leadership skills and your leadership and where you might have picked up some of the things that, that you believe in and how you lead. Because at Washington, you mentioned it, that you guys were not very good and then you won the rose bowl so everybody looks to the quarterback for leadership let's face it that's just the nature of the beast so talk me through a little bit about some of your key points uh, as to how you are the front dog on on some of these issues
2: yeah i think i learned a lot of my leadership skills from first of all from my mother the way she led our family the way she was able to uh, you know not give in to to the fact that she was dealt with a tough situation losing her husband know yeah who who she is with seven kids and what am i going to do to take care of them and she could have just said okay throw up her hands and said i'm just going to live off the government and take my government check every month food stamps and all that other stuff she went back to school and and became a nurse and uh re-educated herself became a private duty nurse and uh she would work two shifts she Hmm. would always have hot food on the table for us somehow some way she always had our clothes clean I had some older sisters that kind of helped things out as well. But for the most part, I watched how she kept our family together. Again, that having a place for everything, making every penny count wherever it needed to go, making the sacrifices to get me sports equipment and the different things that I needed to play sports. She put me in, in the Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, and she put me in vacation Bible school during the summer. She did all these things to keep me out of these negative environments. So again, a lot of my leadership comes from watching the way she handled things. And then different coaches that I played for, watching how they coached me. Um, I had a, a lot of my coaches that in Pop Warner football were L.A. City policemen, so they kind of coached us how they were taught in the in the academy. And we were we were we were coached pretty hard. And uh, mm-hmm. so some of my some of my um, leadership skills came from them. And then a lot of them came from from watching Don James the way he coached our, our football team and how he led us through adversity when he first got there. To, you know, we were six and five my first year. It we wasn't like we were terrible, and we were one game out of one of the Rose Bowl my first year. But just watching how he how he uh, led in a very quiet, calm way, and he kind of coached his coaches and let his coaches coach the players. So you you never heard a whole lot from him as far as yelling and screaming or anything like that. He let his coaches coach, but when when something didn't go right, he got on those coaches and coached the heck out of them, and, and, and uh, that's that's where the fire came out of him when. Most assistant coaches weren't making things happen, right? So I learned a lot of different ways of, of leadership by him. So through a lot of the different coaches that I had in my life, had uh, a lot of the way that, that I, uh, I created my leadership skills. But I always felt like as a quarterback, you've got all this turmoil going around you as a, as a football team. you got all this physical play, all these guys trying to knock their heads off, and guys trying to get geeked up for the game and get themselves ready. Who's going to be that calming influence when everything – is going wrong, or or even when everything is going right, who's going to be that common influence you can look to? And I always wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy that the team could look to and say, "Okay, no matter what's going on, no matter what chaos, no matter how much we're down, no matter how much we're up, look at Warren. He's still the same. He's still the same composed guy. And and that was something I always took a lot of pride in. I wanted to be that way. And that's how I've tried to be, not only in my football life, but in my family life and everything. People can look to me to see that everything's going to be all right because Warren's okay.
0: Trust me, from the outside, uh, Warren, that's how it looked, the steady hand, you know, the cornerstone. And that, that clearly comes from your mother. You have eloquently uh, described that. So that,
2: that's beautiful. You know, Morton, it's not always that way. I might look calm sometimes on the outside, but inside there's rage going on or there's turmoil or there might be a little bit of panic. But I wouldn't I want anybody to ever know that. And I'll deal with that part of it the way I need to deal with it. But I want everybody to, around me to be calm and cool.
0: I hear you there. I can uh, I can relate to that. Although I think I wear my feelings on my sleeve, probably more than most. My...
2: There's nothing wrong with that either. Everybody's got a different ways.
0: Yeah, it. but my heart is pure and authentic. That trust me on that one. So, let me share with our listeners, Warren, and I know you. I don't want to embarrass you, obviously, but these numbers from the Canadian Football League are astounding. Five-time Grey Cup champion, the '83 CFL Most Outstanding Player two-time Grey Cup offensive MVP again first professional quarterback in North America to throw for over 5000 yards you did that in 1982 when I was drafted by the Saints that year Canadian Football Hall of Fame Edmonton Eskimos Wall of Honor of course uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton Ohio and and with all that said you know you you were dominant in Canada do you ever wish you could have gone back in time, Warren, and not signed with the Edmontons six weeks before the eighty, the 78
2: NFL draft? I mean. <laughs> you know, Morton, I had to go with what was put before me, the opportunity that was put before me. And yeah. the NFL was not making it you know, solid that they were even going to draft me as a quarterback. A lot of teams were saying they were going to change my position. And that's something I just was not going to put up with because I had been good at every level. Starting at Pop Warner, I was one of the best in the city that position high school the same way junior college a state player of the year then I go to the University of Washington I end up being pack eight player of the year and also rose Bowl's most valuable player so i just felt like at every level i'd excelled as a quarterback so why couldn't i get the opportunity to play at the pro level if i wasn't good enough go ahead and cut me and, and i'll move on and do something else but at least give me a chance to do it so the Canadian League was giving me that chance where the NFL wasn't wasn't real you know real positive on it so I took the I took the more um, sure opportunity and went to the to the CFL to continue to keep improving myself and also uh, get a chance to play the position that I love to play and um, yeah I wish things would have been different, but they they were so you, you take the opportunity that's put before you I made the most of it and then when I came back to the NFL you know six years later, you know I was the highest paid player in the league at that time and uh, got to go where I wanted to go. I could pick the team that I wanted to play for and and so it was a good situation for me, but there was a sacrifice there going to another country for six years.
0: I mean, you knew going to the CFL you are going to throw the rock. I mean, it's three downs up there, so you really have two downs to throw the ball. How different was that, and how, how challenging was it at you know, coming from the U.S., going to Canada, and then coming back to the NFL and wearing these? I mean, you had to wear a different hat a little bit in the CFL because the game's different. The field's longer, it's wider, and three downs versus two downs. Talk to me about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's a different strategy game up there because of the three downs. That first down is so much more important than it is uh, down here in the United States. So you've got to be successful on that, on that first down and get you at least four or five yards so you, so you leave yourself with a third and medium or something like that. So yeah, the game is strategized differently. You want to use that wide field to your advantage, so being able to throw and move is important because you can't be throwing those outs to those wide, wide sides of the field from the pocket. So being able to throw on the run is important, but you also have to be able to throw the ball from the pocket. So what it does is it makes you a more, um, you have more variety to your game. And I think that that was something that really helped me when I came back to the NFL because I was able to perfect the drop back game as well as the rollout and, and play action game. It didn't matter what offense you put me in in the NFL, I was going to be successful because I I had all this training from doing all that. So, there was a lot of advantages uh, for the reasons uh, why I went up there, and that's why I'll never regret the decision I went up there to make. And I got a chance to play on five championship teams in a row that that hasn't been done in sports, in any sport. No, that's... uh, So, that was a great run that I'll always be proud of being a part of. And then I had some great relationships up there that I still have to this day. And my first son was born up there, so he was a he was a dual, you know, dual citizenship kid, and so there's yeah. a lot of great memories, positive memories of playing up there and learning a new culture, learning a new environment. Uh, there were a lot of positives.
0: Yeah, I don't know if uh, getting paid in Canadian dollars was the best, but that's what <laughs> you, did you have a contract where you got paid in U.S.
2: dollars? Maybe I did. <laughs> okay, I love in it. Truth, I did, and it, it worked out even better because I could spend my U.S. dollars in Canada. And, oh, uh, they went a lot further at the time. You know, they were only like. <laughs> We were like twenty percent more at the time, so I, I bought my furniture and all those different things up there and just had it shipped down to the United States just to save money.
0: You know, we've had a lot of a few stories anyway of, of of guys needing to go get their careers started in a different league before having that elite NFL success. Kurt Warner comes to mind. You know, like Adam Vinatieri, they would they were NFL Europe. We don't have that anymore. You think no. uh, we could ever see that happen again in today's day and age?
2: I think we will. I think you saw some of it last year with the XFL. They got off to a great start until COVID hit, and then they had to shut it down. But I think that league was off to a really good start. and mm-hmm. there, was of, there was a lot of good players in there. You know, you, you see it all the time when you were playing. You see guys coming to training camp, and they probably just weren't ready. They needed a little bit more seasoning before they were ready to make an NFL team. They just didn't have that, that yeah. time. But if yeah. you had another another league to go to where you you could go in there and, and kind of keep refining your skills and getting better, maybe you, you you make a career for yourself. You look at Brad Johnson; he went to uh, he went to uh, NFL Europe, uh, like you said. Kurt Warner, Doug Flutie yep. was up in Canada for a while. He refined oh, yeah, him, D- him up there, and so there were mm-hmm. so many different guys that went other places and weren't quite ready to play in in the league, and then they came back and had great careers in the National Football League. And, I think we need a league like that again. I think that XFL league might be coming back again to give it another shot because there were some really good players, some really good coaches on, on those teams as well. I, I think that that need that is needed because there's a lot of young guys that just need a little bit more seasoning than others before they're ready to get that
0: opportunity. So you mentioned Houston, and that was your that was your next stop. So I, I've always been curious about this, Warren. What type of connection do you have now, and what do you feel with the Titans since? You never played for them, but that's what became of the Oilers. And, you know, your numbers retired uh, with Tennessee. All your franchise records are with that franchise, but that's not your team. Is it, is it a little
2: weird to reconcile? Yeah, it's kind of like having a black hole in your career, you know? It's like yeah. the good thing for me is I played on other teams, so I do have an identity other places. The people that I feel yeah. bad for are the guys who only played for the Oilers, they only played in Houston now when they retire or, or they get cut or whatever, they don't have a place to go for alumni weekend. You know, they can't go and be around their buddies anymore because there's no team for them to represent that. Well, yeah, see Titans have done this year, believe it or not, more than, and I'm glad you asked that question. Amy struck their, uh, their new owner who was Bud Adams, uh, the old owner's daughter. She took over the ownership of the team and, she's made it a point to reach out now to the former Oilers and this coming weekend, next week in Nashville, she's flying every Oiler, every former Oiler and every former Oiler's wife or girlfriend into Tennessee. We're going to have an alumni weekend in Tennessee. That's nice. And they're going to uh, add Bum Phillips to the uh, Wall of Honor there in in Tennessee. Great. That's my guy. his whole family's coming back. So it should be a great weekend that we all get together and and finally get a chance to uh, to reminisce and, and have an alumni weekend so i'm really looking forward oh my
0: god to- that that's that is some good news that you're telling me right there Bump phillips uh, deserves to be there you know he was my coach in new orleans right. and i love that man he drafted me in the fourth round in 82 and uh yeah wow that's uh that's legacy building yeah. stuff uh that, that that resonates and makes sense yeah that's huge all right. Let me talk to you just about some of these. You played, uh, so you also played in Seattle. You played in Kansas City and Minnesota Vikings. So let me just ask you a couple of current evergreen questions uh, about the Titans. Can they win Super Bowl today in today's NFL with Derrick Henry being that driving force? How do you see them faring?
2: I remember meeting him about five years ago and I looked up at him and said, this is unfair that you're a freaking running back. <laughs> because the guy was like, 6'4", 250 pounds, and there wasn't an ounce of fat on it. So I yeah. would definitely not want to tackle that guy or have to come up and hit him all the time.
0: He is a beast. But their
2: defense would have to get much better if they're going to win a Super Bowl because they definitely have the offensive talent. They, they've they got Julio Jones, a guy who you probably played with at one time. Uh,
0: uh, no, got, I missed that, but uh, yeah, Atlanta they, for sure.
2: They've got... Uh, They've got really good receivers. The quarterback is playing really well right now. So that part of the offensive side, I don't have a problem with. It's the defense that they're gonna to have to play better in order for this team to to uh, to get that far. But I think in their division, they, they can win this division because you know, Houston's not gonna be very good. is gonna be struggling most of the year, and then Indianapolis, you know, with the quarterback injury problem with Carson Yeah. back, forth, yep. we don't know what that team is gonna be about. So no. I don't I think Tennessee can win their division. Now it's just a matter of how they do once they get to the playoffs.
0: All right, looking at the Vikings, and you said you spent some time there. Not a lot, but you were there at the end of your career. If you could have had Dalvin Cook or Justin Jefferson <laughs> on your Vikings team in the mid-'90s, which of those two studs would you have chosen and why? Who?
2: We were pretty strong in, in the receivers. I think we had good running backs too, you know. We had uh, Terry Allen, um, so you're gonna pass? You're gonna pass on those guys? No, I'm I'm trying to figure out which one I would take because we had good running back. Robert Smith was there, and we also you know, we had Chris Carter was one of my receivers. I would probably go with Jefferson because quarterback can't have enough good receivers. So so maybe Jefferson <laughs> that just adds more of a that yeah, more me. of a threat to your passing game, which means you got to play more of a pass type of defense, and then that's gonna open up your running game a little bit more. So. Probably with,
0: with the receiver. Yeah, you can never have too much speed when you're throwing the rock right down the yes, field, so. vertical. See you, I, there.
2: I thought I was going to throw less in Minnesota when I went there than I did in Houston. I ended up throwing more in <laughs> yeah. Minnesota
0: than I did. <laughs> well, they knew what they had, uh, Warren. So that's that's yeah. just the, that's the way it goes. What do you think about uh, what what do you make of Russell Wilson's kind of a little bit of rift with the Seahawks in the off season? Do you think Wilson will play his entire career with Seattle?
2: You know, if I had to bet on it, I'd probably say no, only because most guys don't play their whole career with, it, with one organization. Uh, you know, we've seen guys like John Elway do it or, or Dan Marino. Even the great Tom Brady had to go to play uh, on another team. So Rodgers is trying to get out of Green Bay, even though he's been there the whole time. If they play 12, 13 years, one place is probably going to be a, a time to move on because the salary cap or whatever it might be. So I don't think it's going to happen with Russell and if it does it wouldn't surprise me but if it does happen that he moves on that wouldn't surprise me either just because like i said most guys once they play a certain amount of time with one organization it's time to move on. i played 10 years with the rollers and they felt like it was time for me to move on because of my age i had played 16 years at that time you know because of my six years in canada 10 yep. years with them i'm 37 years old they're like how long can this guy keep playing like this so we we got to make a decision and yeah salary cap thing had a lot to do with it. That's the reason why I was traded to Minnesota. But I ended up playing seven more years, and the guy that they replaced me with played one season, and he was done. So they made a bad decision there. It,
0: it's, uh, it's funny that you say that. That That's resonating with me big time because after 13 years with the Saints, they told me I was a declining player, and I went and yeah. played 12 more years somewhere else. <laughs> right.
2: Exactly. So decline, decline
0: this, you know what yeah, I'm
2: saying? They're not, <laughs> yeah, they're not always right. I mean... Yeah. I understood. i understood they're thinking they're looking more at years on your on your uh, on the trends birth certificate than they are looking at what yeah. you're actually are doing on the field I, I had just been six straight pro bowls and they and they they cut me yeah you had nine we traded but...
0: you had nine pro bowls so that's uh i mean come on guys <laughs> I,
2: had, I had three more after i left there so <laughs> <That's right.
0: laughs> drop the mic <laughs> we're dropping the mic warren um <laughs> What's the one trait Patrick Mahomes has that that you wish you had had when you played?
2: I think he moves better than I ever have. I could move, yeah. like I can move like he does. Yeah. His arm talent is really good, but I felt like I had a lot of that same arm talent when I was a player. I could make every throw possible. I could throw it from any position, any arm angle. But he has a little bit more movement ability than me because that wasn't one of my strengths. Even though most people thought coming out of college that that's what I can do. They, all these schools that ran the wishbone and the option wanted to recruit me. I'm like, no, you don't want me for that. I, I'm, a good, I'm a good athlete at the quarterback position. I'm not a great athlete like a Lamar Jackson or somebody like that.
0: Warren, I read that you had mentored Cam Newton a little bit. Uh, is that accurate?
2: Yeah, I did. I helped train him coming out of college. Um, he had come to a, a football camp of mine when he was in high school. His dad brought him to it. And uh, he remembered me um, after that. And when Cam was ready to come out for the draft, he wanted me to to help train him, get him ready for the NFL draft because, you know, he had never taken a snap under center in college. They, they did everything from the shotgun. They didn't call plays in the huddle. They did everything from, came from the sideline. Uh, his footwork wasn't very good. So, yeah, we, we went through the whole process of getting him ready for the NFL type of game. And, you know, he became the number one overall pick in the draft.
0: So if you had Cam's ear right now, what would you advise and what would you be telling Cam to get back into the
2: league here? Uh, He's got to figure out what he wants to be. Does he he expect to be a starter in this league or or would his ego allow him to be a backup somewhere that maybe he gets a chance to play? Because maybe that, that starter has had a history of injury or something like that where he can get on the field. Do you want to go to a good team where you want to win or do you want to go to just a team where you can just play? So you've got to figure out what it is he wants to do first before he even decides what type of team he's going to. There's been a lot of injuries in the league, so some of these teams are going to be needing quarterbacks, but I'm sure the big question coming in for Cam Newton is, can this guy come in and maybe be a backup on our football team without being a distraction? He's a big personality guy. He still feels like he can play and be a starter. So that's what he's got to, first of all, put it in his mind, what, what do I want to be and how, how do I want to help a football team? Is he going to be as a starter or can I be a backup and yeah. be supportive of a starter somewhere?
0: That speaks also to your personal experience because let's face it, I mean, you were a starter most of the time, but there, there came a time when you backed up and yeah, you yeah. can make you can make a damn good living holding a clipboard and and advising. And and it's a
2: little easier on the treads too, you know what I mean? They're paying some backup $7 million a year right now. That's uh, not I mean, I, that's not like you change to hold that clipboard and just you a rah rah guy here to, to your starter <laughs> like uh, I'll be your set of eyes and <laughs> Give me that seven million dollar check. <laughs>
0: So that's really good advice, I think, for Cam. If hey Cam, if you're listening out there, uh, you know, let's check the ego at the door and let's keep keep the checks coming. I think that's uh, what you're saying, Warren.
2: Keep working on his, uh, working on his fundamentals and working yeah. on his technique because he's not yeah. he's not perfect in those areas yet.
0: Warren, let me before I let you go, buddy. Let me uh, play a little name game with you. I have a, I have some names that I'm going to throw at you, get guys that you played with against, and uh, whatever comes to mind, it could be a word or a sentence you know whatever comes to mind have at it um i'm going to start with bruce matthews
2: most versatile uh, offensive lineman i've ever played with i can play all three positions guard mm. guy, center and be pro all pro at all of them mike munchak uh one of the most tenacious offensive linemen i've ever played with just a mild mannered guy like he's almost like clark kent you never <laughs> know that, that, he, that he had that side of him but when when it's time to put that hand on the line and come off the football He's flat backing people. Drew Hill. My third down guy. If I needed a big catch on third down, I knew where Drew was gonna be. I knew every adjustment he was gonna make. He was the guy that I was gonna go to for a big first down. Robert Brazil. <laughs> Dr. Doom is what we called him. And uh what a great personality guy, but but he was LT before LT. If anything, LT became Robert Brazil. That's the type of player he was when he came into this league. People didn't know that. Uh Mike Golick. Mike Golick did great getting in the in the radio. That was his strength. <laughs> <laughs> June Jones. June probably changed the course of my career when he came in as my quarterback coach. Really instilled some confidence in me and uh helped me a lot on throwing the deep ball. Danny Green. Probably um the best motivating coach that I ever played for I loved uh, I loved his his talks on Mondays after games and his talks on Fridays before games and uh, he really took care of the players and made sure we were fresh when we went out to play on Sunday that was his whole goal throughout the week to make sure we were fresh didn't want to over practice us wanted us to eat well he's one of the first coaches that brought in a full-time cafeteria for players to make sure they got at least two good meals in them every day Brian billick. Brian Billick. <laughs> Very excellent offensive mind and a really good football coach. Chris Carter. Probably the most um confident and aggressive receiver I ever played with. I loved his work ethic. I loved his tenacity for the football. Sometimes it gets on your nerves, but I really have a guy that wants the ball and does want it.
0: How do you decide as a quarterback? This is just a little follow-up question, because it, it begs the answer, because you got Let's say if Randy Moss was there, but he wasn't when you played. But if, let's say, Chris Carter, you got Randy Moss, you got all these personalities. Imagine, Mike, let's just throw Michael Irvin in there. Let's throw T.O., you got them all on one team. How do you decide
2: as a quarterback who to give the ball to? If I had all those guys on one team, more than I'd get on the first airplane out of town. <laughs> <laughs> Too much There's, drama. There is no way that I could deal with it. I had three receivers in Houston, uh, Ernest Gibbons, Ernest uh, had- and, and, um, and Haywood Jeffries all went to the Pro Bowl the same year. They all made it the same year because I was distributing the ball all around. So I looked at myself as a point guard like in basketball. And yep. My job was to get the ball to all the different guys and keep them all happy because you you had to do that. and You had to know the personalities of every guy too as well as Okay, this guy, I can go a few a few series without maybe throwing him a ball. But this guy, I know I got to get him the ball early in the game. I'm losing, you know. So you know all that about their personality.
0: Oh, my goodness. It's, <laughs> it's been one of the most fun things for me is to hang around these uh, Pro Bowl, I mean, uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame receivers and just listen to them and watch them. Uh, you talk about drama queens. They're, they get in, out.
2: they're in a different it, category when it comes to football. <laughs>
0: It's hilarious man i love it uh it's been fun i i gotta be honest with you on that uh randall mcdaniel
2: well wow. probably one of the most athletic offensive linemen i've ever played with this guy you know he could run like he could run like a four six four seven forty uh strong as a freaking ox he wasn't that big a guy he's only about 270 75 pounds when he played yeah he, i saw him pick guys up he's just just tremendously strong john randall Maniac. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That guy was a uh, man. You talking about a guy that got the most out of his size and athleticism, this guy worked his tail off to become a Hall yeah. of Famer. He was, he was 225, 230 pounds off the defensive line when he came out of college, but worked his tail off and, and became a Hall of Famer. Much respect.
0: He told me a story, uh, Warren, where his roommate and him would go to Home Depot and buy weights and put them around their body for weighing so they would weigh 10 15 pounds more <laughs> that
2: that I believe I believe you know, Johnny was a guy that was really um really boisterous during the game when the game started but after the game's over you he didn't hear a, a peep from him so he's come out of himself a lot over the over the last 20 years or so as far as his personality because he wasn't always that way
0: when he was yeah He's one of my favorite guys. A lot of fun yeah. to hang a lot of fun to hang around with yeah. and um, and just fellowship with. Uh Dale Talley, he is a, a teammate of mine as well with, with the Falcons. Dale Talley.
2: Yeah, he, I think he's the unsung hero of those Buffalo Bills teams that went to Fourth Street Super Bowl. He was the leader, kind of the glue that kept all those guys together. And he was a really good football player, very smart football player. But you know, Bruce Smith and Andre and all those guys got all the, the headlines, but Daryl was the guy that kept all that together.
0: You know, there's a couple of guys, Daryl Tally and Cornelius Bennett, where I'm saying, why are they not in the Hall of Fame? You know?
2: Yeah, I know you can't put their whole team in there, but I know, had, man, but they that type of team, and yeah. I think those guys, I think those guys, some point down the road, will we'll get their consideration. It's just probably not right now. A couple more names, man. We'll wrap it up. Uh, Walter Jones. Woo. Yeah. I, you know, I got a chance to play with Walter as a, a when he first came in as a, a rookie. Seattle and then I just saw his career blossom but I saw yeah. when he came in he just had the real light feet you know he's probably 310 pounds at that time and he probably ended up getting bigger than that by the time he retired but he had the great feet for an offensive lineman and tremendous balance mm-hmm. uh, one of the best offensive tackles I think to ever play the game
0: uh you you played with Will Shields in Kansas City talk to me about Will Shields a little bit
2: another one of those really good athletic guards like we talked about with Randall yeah, this guy could run. So they're going to put him in a position where he does what he does best, which is pull and get outside on, on sweeps and and, uh, and get him out on screen passes because you can use his athleticism where he can find people and make those big kind big of blocks in the open space. And that's what Will was best at, even though he was good in the trenches as well. But his best asset was his athleticism.
0: Did you ever complete a few classes to Andre Rison? Let give me get your opinion. I man.
2: did. I did. Andre uh, he was another one of those receivers that wanted the ball all the time and was always open. It didn't matter if he was triple covered, he was open.
0: And he sometimes just didn't run, run the, didn't run the right route. He'll just <laughs> improvise. That happened a few times too.
2: <laughs> How about my little buddy Dante Hall? Oh my God, he was a guy that I actually talked him out of out of uh, quitting. He was so upset and dejected when he first got drafted to the Chiefs when I was there because he was a running back, and uh, he was running back in college at a but he wasn't getting much of an opportunity when he first got there. So he was pretty upset, but I talked to, talked to him about not giving up and, and not quitting and gave him some stories of my own, and they eventually found a place for him. They, they used him in special teams, of course, punt returns, kickoff returns. And then they used him as like a gadget guy on the offensive side of the ball. So they found a role for him when Dick Vermeil got there. The rest is history as far as his career. He, he became one of the great uh, special teams guys to play the game.
0: Warren, uh, I got nothing else for you, but I will say this to you as I have you in front of me. You left nothing in the tank, brother. Nothing in the tank. Martin. And I think uh, you knew when it was time to to hang him up. And did, I got to believe there's no regrets when you look back at your uh, storied career, not only in the NFL, but in the CFL, and, and the passing records and the and the legacy you're leaving behind, is uh, it's, t- it's timeless. And it'll be there for a long time, brother.
2: Well, thank you. I I, uh, I think my only regret is anybody who ever played the game of football regret that they didn't get one of those rings on their finger. Other than that, yeah, I, I, I accomplished so much more than I ever thought I would ever accomplish in the game of football. But if there was one thing that I would love to have, and yes. I do have one as a broadcaster with Seahawks, but I want right. a player a yeah. Super Bowl ring. Other than that, in my career I'm very very proud of. You. I'm sure you're proud of yours.
0: I am, and I'm I'm proud to be a Hall of Fame brother. I look forward to uh, every chance we have to spend some time together. It's been awesome and uh, learn a lot from you, Warren. Uh, much respect and much love your way, brother.
2: Much love to you as well, Morton. And um, you know the thing that we'll always have in common: we'll be on this team forever, man. You can't oh. cut us. You can't wave us. We can't die off this. can't game. die for <laughs> <You laughs> Let's <always> go,
0: baby. <laughs> hey, I love you, man. I'll see you soon. Be safe.
2: Okay. Thanks a lot, Morton. Take
0: care. That was a great conversation with Warren. One of the guys I think is one of the most underrated players in the history of the league. Of course, I'll have more on him in my game winner at the end of the podcast. But Freeze Pops, before we get into this week's
1: Fast Five, what do you have for us? The DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing you the Sportsbook National Championship. The SBNC is a weekend-long peer-to-peer tournament where players can buy into the tournament for a $1 million top prize. The tournament is being held at the Envoy Hotel in Weehawken, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. It will begin on Friday, November 5th. And it will end on Sunday, November 7th. And like I mentioned, you'll get a million bucks if you win this thing. Play amongst the best sports bettors in the game for bragging rights. The winner of the tournament will be given free tickets to the Championship Series Tournament of Champions. It's an event that's happening in January for an opportunity to be crowned as the GOAT. Here's how it works. Players can bet on three different sports, the NBA, the NFL, and college football. Regulatory restrictions apply on college football. There is a $10,000 buy-in for the tournament, and players will receive a $5,000 bankroll for the weekend to use to place bets by entering a $5,000 pool, $1 million to first place, $2 million worth of prizes throughout the weekend. You have to spend a minimum of $1,000 throughout the weekend to be eligible for the prize pool with no limit to the number of bets you can place. A leaderboard will track the bets placed along with outcomes, all bets placed pre-match, no live betting. People will be able to join the tournament throughout the weekend. And as of right now, if you live in New Jersey, you can play online using the DraftKings app with more states possibly to come. So check out the SNBC in Weehawken, New Jersey on Friday, November 5th. Look for more information at DraftKings.com. Now let's get to Morton's Fast Five. This is Morton's Fast Five presented by BetMGM, where we run through the five biggest games of the weekend. We'll give you the Hall of Fame knowledge. You guys place your bets accordingly. And a tough weekend for the podcast, Morton. We go Oof. two and three Ouch. for week four. But we're on to week five. That's in the past. The yeah. winning starts now.
0: Man, I just, you know, I'm, I'm new at this. What can I say? <laughs> it takes usually time. not a prognosticator, a, you know... I- not
1: a betting expert (laughs) well you know what you're a new territory you're gonna you're gonna get there dude i i i have faith you know you're you've been around the game too long to keep the losing going so hop on the train baby make money with us let's Uh, kick things off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with a juicy game tomorrow night oh, the yeah. rams are at seattle thursday night football on fox and nfl network according to our friends at bet the rams are two point favorites at the time of this recording morton do the rams bounce back here on short rest
0: i think they do because of their defense i know they're playing in seattle it's a tough place to play let's face it, through four weeks now the favorite coming into the game is 4-0. So with that being said, I, was, I think there was a clear better team in each of those matchups. This is probably the first real toss-up of the season. However, I think the Rams will persevere and take a victory. Their offense still looks good. I know they had a, a letdown against Arizona, but Arizona's balling, let's face it. So I think they bounced back. I think they put up some uh, pretty big numbers. Seattle's defense is atrocious, or uh, that's a strong word, but they're they're definitely suspect at best. Russell Wilson, he'll get his numbers as well. I think the Rams cover the two points, and I think they get the win.
1: Next up, the game of the week. The Bills are at Kansas City Sunday Night Football on NBC. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Chiefs are two and a half point favorites at the time of this recording. Morton, how do you see this heavyweight bout in the AFC playing out? This is
0: the game of the week. Absolutely Sunday night football, as you mentioned. This is a big game for both teams. I mean, Bills can take a commanding two-game lead on the Chiefs for the top spot in the AFC. That would be a huge advantage to them come playoff times. The Chiefs, hmm, they're 2-2 on the season. It's hard to imagine that a team led by Patrick Mahomes would ever fall to 2-3, right, to start a season. I don't see that happening. So I think both of these offenses of awesome, obviously, they, they're both playing really a high level, but the Chiefs have been a little more inconsistent as far as their production. You just don't quite know what's going on yet. They haven't found their stride. Mahomes and Josh Allen, they're both MVP candidates at this point, so it's going to be a great game, I think. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I'm going a little bit differently on this one. I know a lot of people think that the Chiefs will cover and beat the Bills, but I have the Bills winning this game.
1: Next up, the Niners are at Arizona Sunday at 425 on Fox. According to our friends at BetMGM, the 4-0 Cardinals are five and a half point favorites at the time of this recording. Does the Cardinals wagon keep on rolling here on Sunday?
0: You know this could be a trap game but i still think arizona will win this game Kyler murray is the odds-on favorite right now if we were to vote for mvp after four weeks cardinals are leading the league in yards per game 440 yards they also lead the league in scoring at 35 points per game so like you said this team is a wagon if you combine this with the niners defense tied for last in the league in takeaways that's terrible right then the bottom half of the league in points allowed Jimmy He I don't know here we go annual is this we the annual injury is upon us again with a calf injury so looks like there's a chance we're going to get to see Trey Lance obviously he gets his real chance this season first real chance to show what he's got And he's going to be running around like a a chicken with his head cut off, I have a feeling. Um, I like Arizona, and their D is no joke. I like the Cardinals to cover in this game.
1: The Browns are at Los Angeles to take on the Chargers. That's our next game here in Morton's Fast Five, presented by BetMGM. Sunday at 4.05 on CBS. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Chargers are one-point favorites at the time of this recording. Morton, this is going to be an awesome game.
0: I like the Chargers and uh, what they did against the Raiders. I don't know. They just look. Of offense, they look great. They they unlocked Austin Eckler. You know, it looks like Brandon Staley has figured out how to do that. That Chargers offense with a running game. Wow, that opens up the play action. So he looked awesome on Monday night. Eckler, is that how you say his name? Austin Eckler. Austin oh, Eckler. Got you, Eckler. A little He's A beast. Uh, Little lesson from Freeze here in Fanatics. I love it. <laughs> uh, I. Think about how good Justin Herbert was last season. That was his coming out party. That was kind of like his, hey, let me put some hair on the chest, right? But he didn't, you know, he didn't have Eckler. You're missing a big chunk of that season. So Eckler is that Chimera type of player coming out of the backfield and they have great chemistry. So I really like Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Quick mention on the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski. He's continued to commit to the run game. Let's face it. He's got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, both the top five in scoring. So it's going to be a close game, but I'm giving the edge to the Chargers home field. I like that. So will they cover? Yeah, they'll cover.
1: Last game of this week's Fast Five, the Saints are at Washington Sunday Mm. at 1 o'clock on CBS. The floor is yours, Morton. What the hell is wrong with the Saints?
0: You know, I just don't know i don't know what's going on i don't know what it's tragic or magic i don't know what i'm getting with this team you know Jameis winston experience it's it's up and down you know one week they look like they're going to win everything and destroy the likes of and rogers and bill belichick and the pats and the next week they're getting beaten by like sam donald and daniel jones what the hell's going on with this team I, i i just don't know i just don't know but having said that We came into this season talking about the Washington defense, and they were the greatest in sliced bread, the greatest in football, and they have absolutely underperformed and sucked. I'm sorry to say it, but that's the truth. Terrible, hyped-up unit, and they're not getting it done. So my pick is the Saints, and I think they cover.
1: All right, there we go. You know what, Morton? I feel good about this week. I feel like these are games that we can predict and feel good about and four and one i'm calling it four and let's, one go. Go. let's go let's four go Four and, and, and you know what our one loss is probably going to be it's going to be the freaking saints, saints. J- i, J- I hope J- not Jaymen no Winston, don't man. say that don't I, jinx it i think it's going to be the saints oh,
0: the horror <laughs> the horror
1: <laughs> all right now it's time for morton's game winner
0: I wonder what it must feel like to be the first to do something, to be a pioneer and a pace-setter. On one hand, it must feel exhilarating and unique, and on the other, a heavy burden and responsibility falls on you as well. The journey that Warren Moon has traveled in his Hall of Fame career is one that is rooted in the struggle to persevere despite the environment in which it was accomplished. The first African-American quarterback to enter the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he lost his father when he was six years old. In the middle of a family of six sisters, he became the man of the house and together with his mom, he kept them all together. He was away from the home a lot and forced to make decisions. Choose the street or choose sports. Easy choice for him. Sports became his sanctuary and he flourished. He sought a better life than the street and landed in a high school that afforded him the opportunity to excel in the classroom and on the field. He then pushed the gas and never looked back. Jet pilots don't look in the rearview mirrors. When one door closed for him, he kicked down another. His journey through the University of Washington and the Rose Bowl victory must have felt sweet. Imagine taking the field a few miles from your home as the man in one of the most iconic games in college football and winning. Most people could have easily dropped the mic there and called it a day. But not Warren Moon. He was far from done, and the road would not be easy. The door to the NFL was closed for the moment, so he chose Canada. There he solidified his legacy as a bona fide star quarterback and the NFL conceded. He threw the football for nearly 40 miles in his career. That's the distance from Hamilton High School in Los Angeles where it started to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, and back again. It's an insane amount of production from a man who through tough circumstances raised his game on every level and made a life full of purpose, pride, and perspective. The lesson is to never run scared, to embrace the difficult and blaze your unique trail with stubbornness and guts. If you need to find that formula, find the story of Warren Moon. We'll see you next time.
1: Today's episode of Great Dane Nation is brought to you by BetMGM. And they have a really cool promotion going on right now for new players. You got to bet $10 to win $200 if your team scores a touchdown. Bet on any NFL money line. And if your team scores a touchdown, you'll receive an additional $200 in free bets. Must be 21 or older to play. Legal in Arizona, New Jersey, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C., Full terms and conditions apply. BetMGM is the official sports book of Great Dane Nation.